Now, the shotgun start in golf is full of mathematics. Um, there's a lot, of, a lot of setup work that we have to do in order to make a tournament work. So, I'm going to demonstrate to you just exactly how we do a shotgun start here. Greetings and welcome to a Wednesday edition of the Shotgun Start. It is April 1st. Andy, how are we doing? Brendan! I'm doing okay. Just okay. I was trying to think about a April Fool's joke I could make. No. No April Fool's jokes this year. No April Fool's hoaxes. No misleading. Just if you do... Shackleford will do one. He always does one. He gets all excited about it. They're bad in a non-pandemic year. It's annoying. And now, I guess Shackleford. Wait, and was the Shack- PGA Tour's email hoax? Was that? An you want to get to that? Day? As we sit here recording Tuesday night, so this just came to me now that we're flipping the calendar to April. Three weeks ago, this Tuesday night, which felt like three years ago, the Chainsmokers. Just lighting up the 17th hole at TPC. That was three weeks ago. Unbelievable to think that that it was just that recent. Um, but yeah, as you're referring to the PGA Tour, they're already thinking about the next uh, when when to restart. It's kind of kind of amazing that they they seem you know. There's reports. I guess a memo went out based on reports to players. Um, from Jay Monahan saying, you know, still planning to go with Colonial. Now, whether they're planning with 10% confidence, 90% confidence, 50%, whatever, that the public, or I'm sorry, the, the line to the players is they're planning to go ahead with uh, restarting at Colonial, which is what, May, I want to say May 21st or so would be the first round, I believe. Yeah. Um, and that just, I mean, I, I well, with bigger fields, no pace of play policy, too. You know, we'll get to that. that. I can we just talk about the unlikelihood that this is happening? I think Toronto didn't they close everything through June, which people, I, I don't know, it's, it's unclear if that would put the Canadian Open off the map. The U.S. Open, there's rumors they've already said they're going to postpone it. You know, I, I locally with me, Virginia has already like. Uh, mandated is that you know a stay-at-home order going to june 10th uh maryland's is indefinite at the moment but like the uh not that's texas, get texas, grim. texas isn't expected to peak for corona cases for over a month from now i mean not to get grim you had president trump today at his press conference talking about hundreds of thousands of deaths that um, and we are right now at less than 5,000. And it just, like, we need to put this in perspective and to start talking about playing golf in mid-May seems um, sort of a fool's errand. I, I know we don't need to hastily say the season's canceled. Not, in, not just play, not, April playing, 1st, not playing but, golf, though. 
playing a 150-person field event with fans in May. Well, like, it's not going to happen. The, I, I, just, I just can't it, believe that's the, the line th- they're going with right now. That's the, the thing that's puzzling to me is that they're just acting like it's going to happen. When you have the U.S. Open a month behind it already reportedly postponing, Canadian Open may not even have an option. You know, even about more than a month later, I, or you know, with that same month, I just um, whatever. Well, I'm not going to bang on them until it's I guess they officially. Puzzling. It's just a weird, weird memo to send to say like, "Hey guys, it doesn't look great for May. It doesn't look great for uh, you know." at least part of June, we're going to have tournaments behind us canceled. Why are we going to play it? If they play before the U S open, they can't be the first to rush back based on how it ended. So I, I, I think like, you know, there might be some ugly weeks ahead here uh, in terms of the, the pandemic. I just, it's, it's really, and it's not like a, a PR thing. Cause it was an internal memo. It's not like trying to keep a good public face. Like, just be realistic in the internal memo and say, hey, like it's going to get. It just makes you question what world they're living in. Yeah. That this yeah. is, this was like thought of and everybody's like signs off on it. It's like, yeah, this is, this is realistic and in a real option here. Yeah. I don't want to be grim about this, but I mean, what the European tours canceled into June. Irish Open canceled officially today, or was it postponed? One or the other canceled. Canceled, I think. I think. Um, so let's get to aside from the scheduling. Apparently, some of these measures, when and if they restart, they're going to go with bigger fields. They're going to go with more or as many opposite field events as possible. Um, I, I don't understand. I guess I, I, this is not an easy situation. Tour is not prepared for this as anyone is. But like, you know, the Invitationals, which is a Colonial Memorial, would go from 120 to 144. But like, these tournaments are going to be played. They're not like, I, I don't know why they're talking about this. Um, it's got to be to keep the sponsors happy. But what sponsor, you know, what executive at a major company is looking at this and thinking, yeah, I want to be associated with this event if it happened that way. Right. You know, like right. that's, that's the other, like, are are you, even if they did happen, are you at that point, the whole world would be like, what, what is going on? I don't yeah. think, I mean, they aren't happening. Yeah. So, so if they do, apparently we're going bigger fields they're going to play more opposite field tournaments as possible. I don't know what that means. Like they're adding opposite field events or like is the DR one coming back after being canceled is it at a later date in the year? I, I don't know. I mean, you got to get a guy Boros his starts, I guess. I, I don't like, um, so that's another option. Another thing that for more playing opportunities, like it's not like I'm not trying to bane on these, the, the, the players like everyone's hurting and some of the, a lot of the players who play in opposite field events need, need opportunities and need starts, um, you know, as corn fairy tour of it. Like, but like the reality of the situation is we're all taking a big punch right now. And that's just, you can't, it doesn't make sense to be worrying about opposite field events and bigger fields in may. Um, and then last in terms of the actual substance of this memo, that the new pace of play policy 
which was scheduled to begin at the Heritage April, is now being pushed back to the start of la- next year. I I just can't get over this whole thing. Like what? <laughs> you seem you seem almost dumbfounded. You're at a okay, loss so for words. Everything going on right now. We yeah. talked about this last episode. Yeah. Everything that's going on in the world, like there's like everybody knows that there's going to be extreme hesitancy about large gatherings no matter what for probably the next year until there's a vaccine available kirk herbstreet was talking about how football might not happen in the fall yeah okay and so we have this sport that's a wonderful sport it's an incredible game and one of the things that makes it an incredible game is that it could be extraordinarily compelling playing with four people six people eight people in the current landscape of the world needs something like that where there could be entertainment from a very small group of people with very you know limited uh footprint yeah and you have a sport yeah. that can do that and in this whole this world like the world we're living in right now which is crazy because three weeks ago like you like none of this existed three weeks ago, but we live. We're living in this world, and and that's the reality of this world right now. And you have an opportunity to do something like that. And their response is, "We're going to go bigger, 144, and we're going to do more and more events." Like that's almost the complete opposite response than you should have right now. Yeah, and uh, but. Uh... With everything going on in the world, and I know, what I know, they're they're the, thinking about their members. They're thinking about playing opportunities, and it's just not realistic. They just gotta they gotta get the out of the forest and see the trees here. And maybe maybe you do do an eight person event, and you whatever proceeds are. I mean, there shouldn't be there shouldn't. It would be a bad look if these guys just play for cash or play for cash to subsidize the lesser players that aren't getting to play. They need to just play for charity basically yes. at this point it's it's really would not it doesn't seem tenable it doesn't seem like you could sell it any other way in my opinion but you could use it to promote the game and your tour and your members even if it's six of them or eight of them or whatever it is I, I just and that's not up. anytime soon by the way that's like maybe at a colonial type week in mid to late may i i don't know that that's even possible I just pushed back our our uh, event in Wisconsin, the Steam Shovel, hundred players in in the beginning of May. I just pushed it to August eighth, and yeah. I was literally we I was talking with the pro at Lawsonia today, and we both were like, "Well, I mean, I hope this can even happen in in August." And this isn't yeah. a tour event with fans and <laughs> yeah. infrastructure and yeah. thousands yeah. of volunteers. Like this yeah. is a hundred person event over a course like it is so much you know and this is it's just i i mean like that's what's going through my head and china you know allegedly and you can't really take their numbers for what they are you know it's is you know flatten the curve and not getting new cases but then they open movie theaters but immediately close them and then tell the the bat the professional basketball league no, you're not restarting it now. And they're a couple months ahead of us. So, like, I just don't know that it's realistic to think um, the, the type of the type of event that, that is a sporting event is, is advisable anytime soon. 
Um, so in its in its form, like any of yeah. the existing formats of these professional leagues, does not work with like big stadiums yeah. or whether it's a tour event with fans and full field. That doesn't right. work. None right. of those work. Yep. Uh, just can I just make it about the pace of play thing? Like I tweeted this too, but I, I would just say like seems like this is an opportunity if and when they ever play golf and this could be august or whatever it is to say like hey guys we're trying to cram as many events in as we can we're trying to put as many players on the course to give you opportunities as we can but let's change let's change the paradigm here let's change the status quo the trend it's a new game it's a new era it's a new every, everybody's changing their ways of lives we're going to change the way golf is played but no they decide they're going to push the pace of play thing back to next year. This just seems I'm not saying use a use a tragedy to make a change, but it just seems like time and circumstance would dictate it as a chance to do that because you have you're trying to put as many players on the course and you're trying to play as many as events in a whatever month or two or four you get. So do it. Why push it to next year? Well, you know, and it what, seems like the players would be. This would be a time that they'd be open to, to be happy just to be back. Whether it would have been a great email if they said, "Hey, everybody, we got a long layoff here. It's not great. It's it sucks. You guys have a lot of time off. You're probably still working on your games. You're probably still doing a bunch of stuff. We don't know when we're coming back. When we come back, we know that we're going to have to have big fields." And we're going to have to have lots of events. So, everybody, you got time. Tighten up your pre-shot routine. <laughs> Shave 10 seconds off it. This is a perfect time to adjust and get used to your new routine. Yeah. That yeah. would have been a great email. <laughs> I, I just think this is an opportunity to make uh, lasting and significant change in the way that, you know, maybe there's no longer handshakes on the first tee like just like general like changes that seem weird and odd and dramatic six months ago now just seem like it's an opportunity to do that i i don't know so um okay anything else i i don't i don't need to talk about this anymore okay we're good just make it makes me just shake my head you know what would have been this week would have been the valero texas open did you read those Power rankings of the all-time Valera Texas Open. I don't know if it's always been. Can I just can I read off? (laughs) Can I read off? This is happier matters. This is in their wheelhouse. The shotgun start. Yeah, read. Can I read off? Deep fried eggs sends it to you in recovery, right? Deep fried egg. So the player who finished number four in the Texas Open power rankings, right? This is this is worse than the Cam Champ rookie rankings from last year. So the guy who finished uh, fourth in the power rankings played in five Texas Opens. He he finished third, third, first, second, first. All right, five, five of them. So that's the fourth guy. The the third guy. I'm just going to keep the names off this. The third guy, third in the power rankings. So this is all time Texas Open players in the history of the Texas Open. Just a power ranking across generations. Okay. Six top tens and seven appearances, but he won three consecutive editions. 
So three three wins and seven starts and and three other top tens. All right. Number pretty good, two, pretty good run. Pretty good run. Number so, but two. But he's only three, huh? All right. N- number two. Three wins, two seconds, a T fifth, a T tenth, two T elevenths, and eleven appearances. Another three wins, a bunch of top tens, top fives. That's a great run. Pretty good, right? Yeah. Scoring average was sixty-seven four eight. Man, the guy who's first must have won it like four or five times or something. Top 10 every year for a first, decade. First guy, right? Yeah. <laughs> Number one in all-time earnings with a win, two seconds, and a third. So we went with earnings for, as the All-time earnings. For a cross-generational entire measuring stick. Earnings. All-time earnings. It's like, it's, uh, all right. So this is what D- I'm talking about. This is exactly a- it plays right into my theory about if you show somebody something and you say, "Oh, this is an all-time money list." They're going to think that the number one player on that obviously is Tiger, but everybody that follows Tiger are the next greatest players in the world. But DJ's like 10 times the player of Jack Nicklaus or somebody, whatever yeah. the whatever the rankings are. Here it is. It our boy Rob Bolton Stat superstar here. Put this all together. Do you think like Valeros? What a what a. Uh, so I think the tour has a tendency to like they want to showcase the guys who are actually present and on the which I, I like understand maybe that's why we're not getting like deep throwbacks. You know, like we're talking about players from the early eighties. We'll talk about Sandy Lyle tonight. But like that doesn't do the modern the current tour any good. You know, they'd rather do show you the 2018 Valspar as opposed to like, I don't know, Gary Coke or whoever winning it. Somebody uh, Valspar is a more recent event, but they don't want to show you a 1970 Texas open. They want to show you one with guys that are still sellable. They want to sure. show, show you with Charlie Hoffman. And then they gave Charlie Hoffman a t-shirt. I think he made that himself. I don't think he did. I bet, they, I, bet they, I bet they sent it to him and asked By him the to way, post a picture with it. A win and two runners up and a third is an amazing run. It's That's really great. good. It's really good. But the other guys won at minimum three times. Yes. That's, who are the names? What's how does it go? Four, if it five, goes four. Sneed, um, I closed it. R.A. Sneed, then uh, maybe Hogan. Yeah, Palmer. I, think, I think it was. Uh, pa- I think it was Palmer. Sneed, Palmer, Justin Leonard, too. Okay. And then uh, and okay. then Charlie Hoffman. Number one all time. I, I just want to know who's editing this. Like who who read that and was like, you know what? We should put this up. This is a good idea. <laughs> and then who reads that as a golf fan? It's like, oh, Charlie Hoffman's the best. Like, does anybody do that? You're fired up. Well, it's just, I just don't understand how this even happens. <laughs> It's unbelievable. I will say this is a new thing we got to start checking in on each week. These is there events something that in aren't the water? happening. Power headquarters. Uh, like we talked to Smartin, he seems like he's still pretty normal. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, that's debatable. I don't know, but yes, yeah, yeah. I mean, he does no. know more about golf than any any human being. He, he knows Brian Gay was the last 
double digit win on the PGA Tour, which I don't know if that's normal. But I saw um, Phil won the the Bell South by thirteen. Yeah. Do you know that? No. I saw. I, I, I came. I stumbled across that today. He always played well there. I thought. Um, all right. So that's our that's our amusement for the day. The, the, I understand we're all searching, scrounging for content, but that seems a little. Well, it'd be a great article. It would be. I, I'd yeah. be amazed. I'm amazed at Charlie Hoffman's record there, and it, it would be. I would still be like, as amazed if he was fifth. I wouldn't be enraged. I wouldn't be right. like, why are you? Why are you trying to like? It like, it's like they think the people reading it don't have a brain. Right. Right. All right, other news. It's great though. It's gave us a, some fat to chew on. All right, it's other honestly news. like if you were looking at like companies and you were like, here are their here's their like I don't know PE ratio, and you you there was five companies listed, but you put the number one ranking the ranked the number one one like the the one with the worst one. This is probably a terrible analogy, but. I'm sure all the financial anal- uh, analysts are going to come <laughs> jumping out and attacking me, but you know, <laughs> that's it, I just am trying to think of another way. Another, uh, I mean, using earnings just doesn't work for a kind of cross generational measurement. So, all right, um, it'd be like saying that that, that uh, you know, Steve Kerr because he won what five NBA titles as a player was better yeah. than Clyde Drexler. He was a better sure. guard than Clyde Drexler. Sure. sure. But it wouldn't even yeah. be that way because <laughs> Or like <laughs> the crazy Wilt stats. Yeah, no, I know. It's it's uh, all right. Um other news, NCAA gives the spring athletes a extra year eligibility. That's good. I need to I, I need to get the particulars on I that. I don't think so it hurts against their scholarship either. I was wondering no. that too. Uh, I yeah. Yeah. Um I, we need to get the particulars before we talk about that. Uh, Augusta National th- gives two million dollars to COVID charity. Brooksy, I think, saw almost was, up to a million. Yeah, I mean, there's some matches going on through different foundations, but he donated. What did he donate himself to start? Again, we're not up on the particulars, but yeah, Br- Brooksy's fundraiser is almost up to a million. Was over eight hundred thousand earlier. And Augusta Nationals, two million. So good. Seeing some organizations, some players step up, doing what they can with you know substantial uh, commitments. Yeah, some golf companies making masks. Our friends over at Summit are doing that. Seamus yeah. Golf was the first ones to do that. They're making masks. You know, they uh, in in Summit, be dready, uh, are making masks for Wisconsin people. Do, so, yeah, right. do, do the next right thing. I think that's. I know we've talked about that bit over here the last couple weeks everybody's just kind of jumping out of their typical mo and typical kind of way they conduct business to do what they can to fight this so commendable uh all right should we get you were talking about the players working on their routines shortening up their um pre-shot routine maybe chopping off 10 seconds well you know maybe we get them a rocket net to work on this to work on their address and their or for these that's where you're you know that's where it gets done these days it's not the range it's not the course but uh rucket is back again uh after a uh successful holiday time partnership i think last week it sounds like there was some interest in the read um you have yours i, d- uh, I set it up you have how'd it go 
How's what is well? First of all, what does Mrs. Friday think of that? Okay, so this is actually. I mean, this might funny. not be the best sell for the product. You're like, Mrs. Friday's not well, gonna be happy. I told her I was like, I'm gonna get a net, and she's like, What's? It? I'm like, It's big. It's gonna be big, and she's like, Oh, that's fine. You can put it up back there. And I'm like, Oh, so she was doing something, and I went out that side and I put it up, and. uh <laughs> I looked, I knew where I should have put it up. There's like a corner of my backyard, but you know what? Last fall, I didn't blow the leaves out of there. So so it's kind of a mess in that corner. And I was looking at it and I'm like, I'm not going to go clean that up right now. So I just put it right in the middle of the backyard. And I'm hitting balls. I come back in. She still hasn't even noticed it's up yet. Yeah. And uh, like, you know, two hours later, she goes, are you fucking kidding me? (laughs) And I'm like, what? She's like, you put that right there? (laughs) I mean, it's right in the middle of the yard. Yeah. 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 And and I'm like, yeah, you know, that's a great spot for it. (laughs) And she's... So she, well, it took me like 20 minutes. So this is real talk. Took me 20 minutes from out of the box, put it together. I didn't know what I was doing. Yes. And you're an idiot. You're an idiot. The first time it's going to take the longest. That's what I, there's some wind blowing stuff around. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) I, I am, I am an idiot when it comes to assembly. I usually do it the wrong way. Have to disassemble, reassemble. I did mine probably in about fifteen minutes the first time. It'll be five the next time now that I know where everything so, goes. But then, I, so she made me take it down. And that this, I, this it, is no bullshit. Took if two this, minutes. Yes, no bullshit. Like, even if they weren't a sponsor, and somebody asked me like for the best quality of this, it's it's good quality net. But as a dad, I'm telling you. Just taking this thing down and throwing it in this giant ass duffel bag they give you in less than five minutes is the best thing about it, in my opinion. I'm it sure is- there's some 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 sort of scientist technician that like went into designing it, it's like pulling their hair out. But I will tell you practically, that's what I love about. You it. know what? You know what I love about the duffel bag? It's yeah. massive. That's it's what I'm a, telling you. It's not. You, it's not one of those bags that you have to pack everything perfectly yes. in. It's not to like you're overpacked for a trip yes. and it's going to take it 20 minutes just to scrunch it all. You just like launch everything in there and you're gone. It's good. The bag was a, just a revelation. The OCD listeners who organize everything yeah. are just cringing at us just launching the net in there. But that's just, literally what I did and there was still space. I put a bunch of other stuff in there. Yes. Yeah, I put the shag bag of balls inside it too. Yeah. I don't know. Either way, like I'm just... Uh, yeah, maybe not the features they want us highlighting, but practically, I love it. What'd you think? You, you had a good time? It oh, worked for you in the backyard? It was great. It, I got the hack. Okay. The hack the net. XL. XL. I think it's Tri turf. Yeah. Did you get the three different turfs where it's like yeah. a fairway turf, a rough, and a T? Yeah. Okay. So I got the hack. And the thing I'm always nervous about with, with nets is like shanking one. Yeah. Like, and just having it go, and I'm scared. Literally, no fear whatsoever of missing this net. There is okay. no way. You, I don't think it is possible to miss the net. Yep. Yep. Like, you'd no, have it's, to it's... hit a, a horrendous golf shot to miss the net. All right. So, here are the details. They 
come with lifetime warranties. So if it does, you know, something's not right, you know, they, it's a lifetime warranty, all product products. Uh, they're designed for both indoor and outdoor use. So if you have the space, take it inside too. Uh, there's every club in your bag kind of gets kids outside right now uh, when they're confined to our yards. So uh, the offer we have for uh, for uh, Shotgun Start listeners is SGS15. You get 15% off your orders of $100 or more. They got other stuff too. They got basketball like chipping, stuff. Oh, got, yeah, yeah, yeah. Soccer. They got chipping, chipping nets. I haven't set up my chipping net, net yet. Lacrosse. They got Tunnel lacrosse. All these, you know, Maryland lax pros around me. A neighbor got one because their lax season, you know, is wiped out right now. So they got a bunch of lacrosse, like rebounders and goals. And um, it's like a giant, like, protector net. My kid, I, my kid almost got killed by a stray lacrosse ball when he was like one year old. So uh, I like the, pro- the protector nets are, are a big thing for me for these lax bros throwing balls all over the neighborhood in Maryland. Uh, but yeah, spring sports are confined to the backyard and, you know, 15% off SGS 15. That's Rucket. R-U-K-K-E-T. All right. Are you fucking kidding me? Oh, she I was wish... so mad. <laughs> I can see you just coming out looking at the leaves being like, yeah, that's not I, happening right now. Uh, it's a really nice little spot because it's in the shade too. Yeah. You know, it's under well, a couple trees. So well, I'm going to go get clean out back. There. The, I'm going to do it this weekend. Okay. Okay. Right. You know, I'm right. working a lot lately. These, okay. these, these SGS spotlights I know. don't Holy research shit. themselves. I'll tell you that much. The irony of this podcast, supposed to be short and about news, suddenly becoming more work and longer when there is no actual news is uh, not lost on me or my wife at the moment. Oh, it is. This has been... This has been a uh, furious pace. Grind. Okay. Uh, so we will do Sandy Lyle tonight, but I want to clean up some things here. Just send us a few remarkable tidbits. We're never going to get everything. There's just so much. We're, we're not trying to do eight hours on each guy. But someone suggested after the VJ one, I'm sorry, I don't have their name here, that we forgot uh, his his streak of putting with his eyes closed. Do you remember this at all? No. I mean, you know, he tr- tried every different kind of putting thing in the world and he has screwed over a around. thousand putters at home. I guess that was a thing that he, I think early 90s, the Phoenix Open, they said he was putting with his eyes closed at one point. Hey, how do you think he stores a thousand putters? It's just a wall with a bunch of different slots. You think it's a our, wall our, or a I, bunch I, of I've, tour bags? No, a it's a wall. It's a shelves, a bunch of different, you know holsters like a wine cabinet type do you thing. think he knows where everyone is no it's just a mess no he might have them organized by year or something like that but after that it's just got to be a pile like us throwing our shit in a rucket bag i think i don't know i i went to arnold palmer's house like his in the trobe and he had hundreds maybe a thousand and it's just like an entire wall like your wine cellar type thing all jammed in there so we got the blind putting Another one on Woozy, allegedly the a legend that we missed. Uh, I got to pull it up here. Was that he won the Irish Open um, completely, completely hung over. Let me, let me find it here. 
he was discovered like on the steps of the clubhouse, like super hammered. Um, shit, I gotta find it. What year? I don't know. Probably found himself a good Irish pub. All right, shit. Should have pulled this up. It's okay. We can we can talk about it later or tomorrow on the next episode. You can pull it up for that. All right. We'll just let's get on to Sandy Lyle. All right, let's do Sandy Lyle. Shit. I want the specifics though. They literally just woke him up on the steps of the clubhouse. All right, and he like save it for the next one. Shook off the cobwebs and went and won the Irish Open. Okay, Um, dead air. Let's go to Sandy Lyle. All right, Alexander. So this is this is like Woozies, Wales, Western England. You know. Lyle's down the road. We're like hitting the big five here, but as we'll soon learn, like you talked about Woozy growing up in the shadow, his dad saying he was in the shadow of Lyle, but Lyle was kind of always off to the side doing the Faldo thing. Like Faldo and Lyle were this kind of intertwined duo. Yeah, and and, uh, and Woozy always was trying to beat Lyle. It's like, it's funny how that is. And Lyle... Yeah. Yep. Lyle, like always, I think thought Woozy was like his best friend. Right, right. <laughs> and all right. Woozy wanted to do was beat Sandy Lyle. Right. right. Um, his his real name was Alexander Walter Bar Lyle. So you get Sandy from Alexander. Is that what it was? I was trying to figure that out. I assume so. Right. He doesn't really have any other nicknames. No, I didn't see a lot in there. He just was. He was like the nicest guy in the world. Everybody, everything you—it's just the nicest guy. Just um, uh, like unflappable, normal, normal guy who was really good at golf, liked golf, and was really talented. All right, I got a little uh, little passage here. Okay. Um, a prodigy from the time he began playing under the e, uh, the eye of his father, a club pro in Northern England, Lyle won the 1985 British Open and the 87 Players. The following year, he won the Masters. By the time he closed out his 88 season by defeating, in order, Nick Price, Seve Ballesteros, and Nick Faldo to win the world match play at Wentworth, England, Lyle was number one in the Sony ranking. Faldo, his lifelong rival called Lyle, the greatest natural talent in the game, said Ballesteros, if we all played our best, Sandy would win. Yep. I have those quotes. It's, It's amazing. And this is from is a Jaime it, Diaz article. I had that. It was a quick, not eh, not not like a Duval quick, but it was like a ten year burst. The ending was abrupt and right after his peak. You know, it wasn't a slow kind of winding down. I would say so. He, uh, yeah, he just lost his game. Yeah. So let's let's get childhood real quick. Can we do that? You talked about he was a son of a club pro, but that club pro, um was the son of a farmer in Scotland who converted his farm to a golf course. Like, this is the old world, true blue, true Scottish stuff, right? The guy's a farmer. He just made his golf course on his farm in Scotland. Um, and so, so Sandy's dad grows up there and teaches himself how to play, self-taught player, and learn the game well enough to teach it to Sandy and, and become an actual club pro in, uh, in England, Shropshire. Hawk, was it Hawkstone is the name of the club? Yep. Uh, he was born in Shropshire in the West Shropshire, 
in the West Midlands of England in 1958, took up golf at age three. Not long after he took up breathing (laughs) and almost as naturally. His first home was a professional's cottage attached to the golf shop at Hawkstone. Um, he was a baby when he was a baby his mother would set him on a blanket in the rough alongside the 18th fairway where she could watch him from the pro shop window and the family corgi stood guard barking corgi at Sandy's, corgi corgi sorry <laughs> stood guard barking if sandy strayed from the blanket that's a bad mispronunciation <laughs> shit all-time uh, bad one. I'm going to hear about that. Uh, I'm not a dog person. I've seen the word a million times. Never heard it out loud, I guess. Um, so he was just a natural. His son of a pro. He entered his first club tournament at 11 at the Hawkstone at this club. There was no junior cl- program, so he played against the men. Um, but like that, that was like his big thing. When he was 12, he began to play in county matches. And 13, he moved on to regional tournaments. And he, uh, I think he made the All England Boys when he was invited at 14, which is the national 18 and under team. He shot 74 in like horrible conditions that they didn't actually believe that this 14 year old shot that. And they made him go out and play again. And he shot 74 again. So as he's, he quote, I got my tie and blazer. And that was the real start of the big time. So, uh, yeah, he qualified for his first open championship at age 16 in 1974 he's he played in 43 of them he just opens his his run ended because he turned 60 so yeah you can play till you're 60 not lifetime but player had did 47 gary player did 47 but it used to be 65 so yeah that's right if it was still 65 sandy lyle would top it he'd have the record so okay. technically, he kind of has the record. If he had got playing, well, he, he can't. He, he they they changed the rule. I know. Presuming he would have played those last five years, is what I'm saying. Yeah. Okay. Um, so he played at 16. That was that was the one thing because his constant comp to Faldo. Faldo like. So so Lyle was like playing club events when he was 11 and on the like all England team when he was 14. Faldo never picked up a club until he was 14. That was they were talking about like the different kind of ways they came up, and then after that they were just always kind of neck and neck and intertwined. All right, go ahead. Um, so he won the English men's amateur stroke play in seventy five and seventy seven. He was a Walker Cupper in seventy five and seventy seven. He turned pro after the seventy seven Walker Cup. He was he was rookie of the year in seventy eight on the European tour. The there was Sir one of the Henry Cotton Award. <laughs> just a great. You know the I guess the PGA Tour. Someone said they renamed that to like the Arnold Palmer Rookie of the Year Award. Yeah, you know, it's not. A, I mean, Sir Henry Cotton trying to. <laughs> Arnie's you... the king, but Sir Henry Cotton. Sir Henry Cotton. <laughs> He's a sir. With <laughs> uh, the Walker Cup, there was one where like uh, GBI or maybe it was it just Great Britain then? It, it's, uh, it's still just. It's Great always Britain. been. Uh, oh, what? Yeah, without Ireland. Yeah. Um, they were heavily favored at Shinnecock. Like they hadn't won; they've only won it twice all time at that point. Heavily favored and got smoked at Shinnecock. Fred Ridley was on the U.S. side. A bunch of there was like six awesome like college players that were going to be pros, or six and like you know Ridley who just got out of law school, 
a stockbroker, different, different, a bunch of legendary American amateurs. But it was like this crushing loss because the Brit, the Brits thought they were so heavily favored, got smoked. Shinnecock. All right, go ahead. Um, so seventy-eight Sir Henry Cotton Award, seventy-nine he wins three times, and wins the Order of Merit at age twenty-one. Amazing, Order of Merit at twenty-one. Won it again at eighty, and then again in eighty-five. Um, so I had to keep coming back to this. Like we did, we do like Woozy Duval. Like Woozy was really like what eighty-seven to ninety-one. Duval was kind of yeah. Duval was kind of ninety-seven to oh one. I keep thinking Lyle just because it ended so fast. Like his peak was was a similar type run, but but he won the Order of Merit in the seventies. He won the right? Order of Merit at age twenty. I know. I mean, like think about Joaquin Neiman winning the FedEx <laughs> Cup this year. Sure. It's it it's crazy. He um, so he he had a year in eighty uh. Let's see. In eighty, he fin he played seventeen European Tour events. Yep. His worst finish was T seventeen. Amazing. And that twenty one year old. That's ridiculous. Um, so I have down his peak five year stretch. He won fifteen times. I didn't do all the yep. you know things, but he yep. won fifteen times, and that was across the U.S. and Europe. So he became kind of one of the first split players. Him and Norman yes. were split players where they played that... the Europe tour and the American tour. And he was really, and, and Seve was that way too. And they were kind of the guys that started this split tour thing. That was what I, you know, in contrast to doing Woozy on Monday and Sunday, like just really stuck out as reading through like all the starts or how much more time he was spending over in the States. So... So that he started playing in the states in '84. Okay. Um. So he he also he's one. By the way, did you know he went to Houston for college? He and Faldo. No way. But it lasted like no less than that. It was like a Maddie Fitz situation. Yeah. In '76, Lyle and Faldo were persuaded to try for golf scholarships at University of Houston. American golfers come out of the American colleges and America makes better players than anybody else was the sales pitch. Lyle failed the qualifying exam and went home after three weeks. So he just bounced. Faldo passed, but he left after 10 weeks. I didn't know that they, that they went to Houston. I mean, if only for... Would they have been there the same time Couples was there too? No. 76? I don't think so. I don't think so. It could have been. weren't they, Was it name? weren't they mid eighties? weren't they there when with like five slamma jamma and stuff? I think, yeah, I early think to mid eighties, like couples and dance. Turned professional or, in nineteen eighty. Who? Couples? couples. Oh, maybe not. We're showing our. We weren't born yet, so apologies for our negligence. Yeah, here. anybody that gives us shit. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> All right, but no, they I just didn't know. Could you imagine that college team with? Faldo, Sandy Lyle, and Fred Couples. Yeah. Nance, too. I mean, you want to talk about <laughs> biggest what ifs. Yeah. So they didn't, well, they didn't last. Well, you were just talking about America. I, I, it didn't, he tried the college. That's thing. insane. That'd didn't be the greatest last. college golf team of all time. Now, I don't, do you, he failed the qualifying exam. 
Does that mean, I assume that's golf, right? I'm At first I thought it was maybe academics. Yeah. But I assume it's golf. He didn't even make the team. I don't know. All right. So he he had 167 weeks in the top 10 in the world golf rankings. Important note is that, you know, when he was winning Order of Merits, that he wasn't even the world rankings didn't even exist. Didn't exist. No. Um, he had 16 Euro Tour wins. Four. So we need to look into that world rankings. Do you think it was because of these, like the big five and Lyle and the, the rise of the European tour? Like, I'm sure someone listening now knows all these answers, but like that we needed some sort of more global rankings because Maybe. you have Biasteros, Woozy, all these guys winning. Uh, Woozy was after the rankings, but Lyle, Loner, right? Uh, seem- maybe I'll uh, Google that to be an impetus for why these rankings were needed at the time. Okay. Um, so he had 16 Euro tour wins. Now these numbers are without majors in them. Okay. Okay. 16 tour wins, four PGA tour wins, two majors, 32 uh, total wins. Two and majors and a players. Two, and he had two majors and a players. Um, <laughs> Let's see. He also won the World Hickory Open in 2014 that. and 2016, That's, and he I calls knew you were them. Bring that he shit calls up. them his third and fourth majors. I knew you were going to bring that up. The Hickory Open was he in like his Allbirds, some like you know four hundred dollar leather head cover, the the bag with the trestle sticks, walking around, listening to Sturgill Simpson. You think he went home, and posted about it on Instagram with like an overwrought caption? Uh, he he went is, in the Hickory he was Open, endorsed by Flimper around the <laughs> same time. Social media app. I'm just I'm giving giving it shit. So yeah, the Hickory Open. All right. Um, I have nothing against people who play hickories. It's just we hear a lot about it. Okay, go ahead. So that's uh, that's it for his his kind of a, a career the accomplishments. Basics. The basics. You want you want uh you want to get into uh, early uh, Faldo Lyle, sure. Where the beginnings sure. of this rivalry? Yeah. So there's a, a massive article on just the two of them by Sarah Ballard in uh, Sports Illustrated as they were coming up after after they I'm sorry after they won Masters back to back. It's almost like a kind of like a a, a, a Hogan. Byron Nelson type thing. Two guys just going to be forever intertwined, same area, same, you know, different upbringings, but from the same country, different, and ended up living kind of near each other. There was an interesting where they both lived near Wentworth later on in like these big mansions, but like within five minutes of each other. And Lyle said, I've never even seen the front of Faldo's house. It's just like they're always kind of nearby, but never like super tight. Um, Faldo's role as the heavy goes back to at least 1980 when they were Britain's two best young players. That year at the Kenya Open, Faldo reported Lyle for a rules infraction, which resulted in Lyle's being disqualified. On the second hole, so it's not like... These guys don't like hate each other. They don't talk shit about each other nonstop. They're always kind of compared as as friends, but it's it's you see it often referred to in these articles as like 
distant, awkward, tense at times. I think a lot of it goes back to this and super, super different approaches. So Woozy's the partier. He talks about how Nick Faldo would go out for his lemonade and go to the gym. Woozy's the partier. partier. Lila's just like this, you know, I would say ambivalent about the entire world. Just kind of shows up. Let's play some golf. But also not a not a partier like Woozy. And then Faldo is like the psycho. Like he it like really pissed him off that like Lyle wouldn't practice nonstop every day. There's there's a lot of anecdotes about how like um Lyle would just resort to his flat swing. So he had like a naturally flat swing. And, and uh whereas whereas Nick would take two years to like to not win, he would he wouldn't win at all and just tear that down and rebuild the whole thing and just grind it out on the rage. As a matter of fact, that's why he left Houston because he said they weren't letting him practice enough. <laughs> um, School was getting in the way? Well, no, he said they were playing too much. He's like, we need to practice more. You're, you want us to like play practice rounds and play golf. I, I just need to spend four hours on the range. So so Lyle and Faldo, just totally different approaches to life. Lyle's easygoing, affable, even ambivalent. So this this is different people, and this is a genesis of like a little on une- uh, tenseness. Faldo reported Lyle, 1980 Kenya Open, reported Lyle for rules infraction. On the second hole of a round in which they were paired, Lyle had placed a piece of tape along the head of his putter because the glare of the sun on the metal was distracting him. In doing so, according to the determination of the tournament committee, he had altered the playing characteristics of the club during a round in violation of the rules. Faldo could have, and probably should have, spoken to Lyle when he first noticed the tape, giving Lyle the chance to remove it. Instead, Faldo reported it to an official after nine holes. His action did not go down well with everyone. When Brian Barnes, another British pro, met Faldo in the clubhouse later, Barnes said, well, that's a nice thing to do to a fellow pro. So that's kind of interesting. I couldn't find a lot it of them. Seems like, like something Patrick Reed would do. Wait till ninth hole and say, "Hey." So th- th- this was after they kind of came up on the boys' teams together, right? I mean, Faldo started a few years behind him, but they had known each other forever in England uh, before Lyle became started playing for Scotland. Uh, and, but. I kept reading about how it was tense and it was this awkward relationship. You can't really find anything where Sandy just lights him up or Faldo like totally blows him up. They, there was never any like real war of words. They were never like they openly just didn't talking. Jive. So Sometimes they didn't that jive. Happens. And this was like the only real moment of controversy where he reported them. Um, their public rivalry and private lives have been chronicled as if they were rock stars on the surface. They seem to be a matched pair. They're tall, handsome, and 30-something. They each have two children, drive Porsches, and live in big houses. But they have the same business member, member manager, and uh, the queen herself has made them members of the Order of the British Empire. But under all the trappings of newly rich professional athletes, they're about as different as two British blokes can be. Faldo's English, Lyle's a Scot, follows well, intensive drift. This is, Go ahead. The, Go the ahead. Lyle, Lyle is born in England. Yes. But born to Scottish parents. parents. And that's yes. why he plays under the Scottish flag. He right. grew up in in England, though. Yes. Yep. Um, he's just like, like, Faldo's really intense. And here's, here's Lyle. Everything I've ever done in my life, I've done by slow, not quick. 
And so I guess he's kind of a Jason Day type. There's even one anecdote. He prefers playing in threes instead of twos because the quicker twosome throws him off. And uh, <coughs> his caddy once said he played some of his best rounds in pro-ams because he likes his slow pace. Sounds a lot like Jason Day. He just kind of, yeah. Uh, there's one, uh, Peter Alice had this famous quote about Lyle in, in contrast to uh, contrast to Faldo. Um he said, what did he say? Sorry, shit. He's almost, um, I lost it here. He seems to drift along in a state of unconscious competence. And that's kind of how he always, that was like the narrative around him. He drifts along in an unconscious competence. Nobody really knows what drives Lyle, although a, suspic- a suspicion persist that the engine is simply a massive talent trapped inside the body of an average guy who loves to play golf. That's, I mean, I've got a million things on him and Faldo, but the, the big thing is that Kenya open where he reported him for tape on the putter. Should Just we, two, uh, two, two different players. Should we fast forward to the Lancome trophy in, in 84? Well, one last thing about how I'm just being ambivalent. Apparently, he always puts his foot in his mouth. He just like... Yeah, he never, he's when never he was, says anything. His dad said when he was 13 and 14, he used to be quite happy to finish second because he didn't have to make the speech if you came with finishing first as a kid. I think he's good at it now, except when he was in Japan. This is his dad. He was making a speech there, thanking them all, and he said, I really do enjoy Chinese food. So he's just kind of this goof, like very shy, kind of goofy, not moving quickly guy. And by the way, as you said, Faldo called him the greatest natural talent in the world. Pissed him off that, you know, uh, Lyle would honestly show up to the first tee, like take a couple wishes or swishes, as as Faldo would say. And then he was off. Then he was (laughs) off. It's like, oh. That's a little stiff, he would say on the first tee. He's like, want, I've been on the range a, for an hour. Do you want a good story about that? Sure. Ken, so Ken Brown was re- retold a story. Uh, yep. to, this is from the Telegraph. He goes, <laughs> Sandy and I have played a lot of golf. And, and Ken Brown wrote this. So Sandy yep. and I have played a lot of golf together since that first meeting nearly 30 years ago. One year in the Benson Hedges International, we played four rounds together. He decided he didn't like the range of the course, so he didn't hit a single practice <laughs> shot all week. Not that it made a blind bit of difference. I think he hit his one iron a little heavy off the first tee one day and still <laughs> won the tournament by six by about six shots. We'd be standing in the rough, sizing up a shot, and he'd say to me, just hit it through that, that gap. And this was this was later about uh, yeah. them playing together in the Ryder Cup. Yep. Just hit it through that gap a, a bit higher than normal and, and onto the green. And I'd be thinking, Sandy, I can't even get the club head on the ball from this line. <laughs> he could play shots no one else could. His club head speed was simply phenomenal. No one had as much power as Sandy, and it was so easy for him. He would hit a five iron 200 yards straight into the teeth of, the, of a wind. Probably still can for that matter. Like, just, yeah. he was like, so long like we talked about woozy and how long he was and lyle was just like yeah. just sheer power like 
unbelievable, big, like easy speed, you know? Yeah. I forget there was one article I was reading. Uh, I forget what tournament where he outdrove. Everybody's going nuts over daily, right? It's like mid nineties or something. And, and Lyle outdrove him by like 20 yards and hit one like 345, the biggest drive of the week. I think it was a U.S. Open. But yeah, massively long. Um, he hit, doesn't he go just, to the he range. hit one iron all the time. He was hitting his one iron like 270, 280. And it and, and guys weren't hitting it. I mean, like guys were leading tours with two eighty off the tee with their with their driver at this time. He would just one iron to death courses. Um, there, I, ta- I I got a. They great- talked about how he needed to blow up to get his attention because he just didn't care. Yeah. There's this one in eighty five two weeks after he shot ninety over ninety at the Irish Open. You know he won the British Open two weeks after shooting ninety plus at the Irish Open. Norman said, "You never know when he's going to jump up and win." He's the most dangerous when he's playing the worst, said John Simpson, his business agent. Added his caddy, that's because he's thinking, I'm not playing well. That helps him concentrate, believe it or not. So they're like, he needs to play like shit to actually like start to play well again because he's obviously just usually floating through in uh, unconscious competence, as Peter Alice said. All right, what do you got next? Um, here's an article from... Uh about Lyle. I think we're doing kind of uh basic things. So, here, yeah. Um long time Lyle's long time caddy Dave Musgrove once yep. said, "Sandy is the best bloke in the world to caddy for. My wages must be the best on the tour. When I stay at home, uh when I stay at his home in Wetmore, he brings me tea in the morning." <laughs> so, here's Mark McCumber. He might be the sweetest man I have ever met. I think that uh, of those guys, he might be the most naturally gifted of all. I played with him at, at Doral one of the years I won there back in the 80s. He had this ping one iron. This was before driving irons, and he'd hit that thing 270 or 280. That was unheard of. Back then, some guys didn't hit their uh, drivers that far. You know how he did it? Uh, have you seen his legs? They're like people's waists. <laughs> He's a big guy, big boy, as they said. The opposite of woozy, for sure. Um, so the Lancome Trophy in '84. Okay. This was from a National Club golfer interview about his caddy Musgrove. Yep. So he remembered this round. So he says, "This is Lyle." At the time, it looked like a top five. So he was like way out of the, he played a great Sunday round. He was way out of the mix. Seve was leading and was a couple hours behind us. So we went to the media center and had a few glasses of wine. We then moved up to third. So that meant we had to stay for the presentation and we had another glass. By the fourth glass, Seve had a 10 footer for birdie to win the tournament, which he missed and we were playing off. Just uh, sitting drinking wine all day. Oh, God. Amazing. (laughs) Lyle Musgrove gathered themselves in the clubs and headed to the tee, half cut, but welcome welcome attendees to the party. Uh, Sevy got (laughs) there 10 minutes later, and Musgrove, knowing him well, asked where he'd been, been, and Sevy blew his top off, a top a bit. (laughs) <laughs> Lyle adds, so that was good. Seve was still muttering about Bernard Longer and hitting a- a- Eamon D- Darcy's marker on the green at 17. So he was playing with Longer, who must have been taken forever. 
That's great. We then That's quickly great. made Bernie. A, with, he made a canned a 20-foot Bernie putt on the first playoff hole to end it. So he goes, uh, we were pretty merry and thought, what's going to happen now? A nice lady from the Lido Cabaret Club then asked oh, if anyone wanted a night there. Up we go the hands. David and I are given the best seats in the house with free champagne. We ended up backstage with a whole lineup of girls, 15 of them in their high heels and headdresses and had pictures taken with them. So that was the the Lancome Trophy in 84. That's amazing. The Lido Cabaret, drinking wine prior to a playoff. Four glasses of wine before a playoff. <laughs> that's unbelievable. I think Such a that's, good story. that might be lo- living story. under par. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, you want to do 85 open? Yeah, just one more thing with Fowler because you talked about how he, the gamesmanship or Savvy blowing his lid. So he won back to back. Fowler's like chasing him, started later. He won back to back the world match play championships, mm-hmm. which were like that was the crown jewel on the European tour back then. Outside of the PGA. Yes, of course. That was like a massive tournament. Uh, I think it was a McCormick, Mark McCormick, like made up thing in the late, early 80s, late 70s. Uh, Faldo, he lost to him two years in a row when, and Faldo's still trying to catch him. The one time Faldo was six up at the 18th hole mark, it was 36 hole match. And and, uh, Lyle switched putters in between, before this, I guess it's like, kind of f- threw Faldo off his game, like freaked him out. You're talking about Seve getting worked up. It was just like, it's the only time you ever hear of Lyle, like really kind of, he thought it was like a bit of gamesmanship. He switched putters and came back from six down after 18 to win the match and then won the world match play championship. This is again, like when the Euro tour is at his peak, like he's going through Seve, he's going through Faldo, he's going through Lahner. It's to like win what we talked about where like with Woozy. Uh, the majority, like, more than half of the top 10 in the world were Euro Tour players. Right. Right. All right. Should we do 85 Open? 85 Open. British Open. Royal, Royal St. George's. George's. Go ahead. Which was supposed to be this year. Yep. Yeah. Um, still is. Still no, is. Okay. Yeah. Technically. Okay. Started Sunday three back of Bernie Longer and David Graham from Australia. Yep. Both of them really struggle. Lyle finds himself one shot ahead with three to play. Conditions are crazy. Like Hurricane Anna was still like lingering over the England, I guess. And it just got wild. The winning score was two over. No. Yeah. Okay. Lyle shot 70 on Sunday. Okay. So he started three back. He's what was three to play. He's uh, one up. So he makes, he makes five footers for pars on 16, 17 on 18. He's greenside. He's got kind of a trick. He fluffs his chip. Yes. He, he's out in front this. of these groups. So he doesn't know what, what's going to win, you know? Yeah. Yep. At the time, he's I think he was tied or for the lead. Okay. So he thought he needed to really get up and down here to win. He yep. fluffs his chip, and it, like, basically almost rolls back to his feet, rolls back to, like, the edge of the green. Yep. It's kind of like yeah. woozy where he was talking about putting it because he didn't want to stick it. I wonder if Duff he like thought yeah. about that. Yeah. yeah, you know. Yeah, 
Wasn't this the one time that Lyle, who's like never shows emotion, he like kind of fell to his yeah. knees and grabbed his putter or something like that? Yeah, he literally fell like down onto the ground. It was. Right. Um, right. So then he two putts for a bogey, and he has thought to it was going to be wait. a double. But yeah. like, meanwhile, Longer and Graham are just making a mess on sixteen, getting blown out. So yeah. they he ends up winning with that. He becomes the first Scott to win since thirty one. First. Uh, Englishman to win since uh, Tony Jacklin in I think sixty seven or sixty nine, nineteen thirty one. Tommy Armour, first Scott, first Brit, first Brit, not first Englishman, Brit. first Brit since Jacklin and what was it? Uh, 60, maybe sixty one. I I can't. Uh, I didn't write no, it down. Whatever. Okay. Do you have anything else on this? I Open? got something. Do you have more? There's a bunch of quirks. Not necessarily. Do you have the wild, driver really. one? No. Okay, so he got it. So that week he said, "This is what he said." That week I got the, that week I got a new driver. Well, it was new to me. It was an old McGregor driver that had been passed down by Eamon Darcy, who couldn't hit it, to Ian Woosnam, who couldn't hit it either. So I adopted it and reshafted it. I was gonna say, I hope he put. Yeah, all right. The experience of driving the ball a little tidier gave me a bit of hope. And then he just talks about it, it, but like, how about that? Imagine that today. Like, if if Rory's like, I can't hit this driver, gives it yep. to DJ who can't hit it, and then Jason Day uses it. Yeah, like, that would right, never happen. Right, 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 right. It's amazing. So you talked about like how the scores were high, the weather was brutal. This draw was just Jack Nick, Nicholas is still like peak the Tom Watson Lyle was still like an up and comer. I mean he'd been great on the European tour but he hadn't won a major yet they were I mean, the, he was like 26 they were the marquee stars where Nicholas Seve was already established as like a marquee star Longer was, was Watson Loner had won and he was in the final group Loner uh, won the Masters that year I think yes yeah I thought he won 80, it's okay. 85 maybe that's yeah. okay that's right uh so Nicholas starts shouting about uh, his late tea time on Thursday. He's mad about that because he's like 320 because he's off late. It's like, they got to reshuffle the deck for me. Um, Seve goes, because of the weather, I think maybe there will not be a very good champion this year. Which uh, at the time, like this remark will go down in British history. On but Lyle's like pissed about this. Like these guys, Watson, Nicholas getting bumped off. He goes, they cannot stay at the top forever. Said Lyle. Speaking of the superstars who played poorly, the time has come for new names. Kind of a bold, bold quote. Yeah. Um, also on Sunday, Jacobson, Peter Jacobson was when he tackled the streaker running across the oh, 18th Oh, I forgot grain. to mention that. This was at St. George's 85. He tackles a streaker. He was in my line. He joked. Um, and like not a lot of Americans went to this one. Mm-mm. Did you read that? Yeah. They're skipping. For, first time since 1974. Maybe Scott Little... McCarron was part of the <laughs> yeah. It's that kind of thing. For the first time in seven, since 74, when Gary Player led all the way, no American led any round of the Open. Some Yank apologists, this is a Barry McDermott article in Sports Illustrated, were quick, quick to point out that many of the best Americans, including Curtis Strange, the PGA Tour's top money winner, stayed home. In fact, only nine of the top 20 money winners on the PGA Tour bothered to attend. It's the 85 British Open. Some did not want to go through the qualifying, and a few didn't like the reward-cost equation. 
and others stuck up their noses at the bump-and-run, ricochet-romance type of golf demanded on Great Britain's links. So the cost-reward uh, equation, the qualifying, and the style of golf, only nine of the top 20 on the PGA Tour money list went. Can you imagine that right now? Once to the Open in 85. That'd be crazy. Right? Um, They're all like complaints that I would understand for PGA Tour players. Yeah, yeah. And senior PG, senior champions tour players, and they, you know, so th- they're losing their mind. They finally get a British winner, right? They get a Scotch Scottish winner, um, and, and they just there was like this thought that this Lyle might not. He was this highly touted player coming up from eleven years old, but you know, this is also from McDermott. For years, the British have considered Lyle a bit of a slacker, a mellow fellow who seemingly fades in big tournaments. Of course, in Europe, none of them are as big as the British Open. Lyle confided to Marco Mira earlier in the week that the pressure of the Open always exhausted him. Nonetheless, he kept on. Uh, I always thought I would win it. I didn't know when. So he's talking about how it exhausts him. The fans always thought he was like a fader. He was a choker. And, and you know, because of those high expectations of when he was younger. But he wins 85, Claret Jug, his first major. His major performance... Was never that good. No. No. Do you have the details? I mean, he's got two of them. Who's done better? I mean, who did better in majors? Halimony? O'Meara? Pavin had that just like lost, you know, did not. It's interesting. There's not a lot of consistency out there, but they got two. I mean, he got two. O'Meara got two. This is the thing. The wins can be a little bit misleading. Yeah. So he 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 made only six starts in the PGA. I know. He made I, only ten in the U.S. Open. Th- those guys never went. So he didn't get a go to the U.S. Open forever. It's you know? kind of crazy. Ten starts in the U.S. Open. Think but about he was you. So only... good. He was good at twenty-one. He won the Order of Merit at twenty-one. He played in only ten U.S. Opens. You only got to play as a European when you won the Order of Merit until like eighty-eight. Okay, so he played. He won the Order of Merit in '79. Played in '80. Won the Order of Merit in '80. Played in '81. Then he didn't play again until after he won the Open in '85. I I don't understand it. Like, think about the guy has 97 major championship starts, and only six of them are at the PGA. He played 43, like you mentioned, Open. 38 in the Masters, six at the PGA and 10 at the U.S. Open. That's just, that will never, ever, ever happen again where you make so many major starts and so few are at two of them. Yeah. It's uh, it's crazy. What else? I mean, so it was under, uh, there weren't a lot of starts, but even when there were, he had two top 10s and two wins in 98, 97 starts. So he won the, should we go to the 87 uh, players? Sure. Sure. Simpson, O'Meara, and Sluman and him are all tied on 18. And Sluman and Sandy Lyle make birdie. And then they go to the playoff, and Lyle makes another birdie. But Sluman has a bit of a distraction. Oh, you want me to play this? We posted this on Instagram. This is the wild days of the players' team. You won't see this in the 
the highlight reel is they're touting the gold standard. Here's Sluman is putting for like, it's like a six foot birdie putt at, at the 17th to win the players, 1987. But it's that, as Ken has said, I've said, it's uh, the 10 year exemption that is most valuable. Well, we've got a momentary diversion. One of our uh, slightly fortified customers. Where's the alligator when we need him? Indeed. A fan has jumped in the pond at 17. That's, uh, that's really ridiculous at this stage. He's not the first to have gone in in the last hour. In fact, uh, this one's been in twice. <laughs> we might feed him to the alligator. That's really tough for little Sluman. All right, so Lyle and Sluman, the guy jumps in the pond. Twice. Sluman's over a six-footer to win. They're telling him to feed him to the alligators on the broadcast. Think about somebody jumping into the pond twice. Jump, not getting same, kicked out. Kicked out, he comes back. The guy, I, I tracked him down. He was like a cheerleader at Florida State. He's a member of Bay Hill, or was a member of Bay Hill. This guy who jumped in the pond twice. Anyways. Think about what the kid got kicked out for saying to Patrick Reed. <laughs> yeah, that's true. This guy jumps <laughs> into the pond. Doesn't get kicked out. This little guy docilely says, Pat, will you sign my shovel? This all docile wanders up to the ropes. This guy's jumping in the pond at 17 twice within an hour. All liquored up. One time with a six-footer to win the playoff, to win the players. The guy's you, know, jumped. you know, there's al- there was an alligator in that pond. I remember reading about it, the 83 players, or the first one at Sawgrass. There was an alligator in that pond. Oh, really? Yeah. I bet they weren't doing flower barge content. <laughs> yeah, definitely not. So Lyle, so Sluman misses the putt. Do you, the can, guy do you jumps think we could pond? ask to ride the flower barge next year? Sure. Do you think they'd grant that? For content? No, I don't think they would, based on their What if, What if they let posture. us podcast from the flower barge? I don't think they're going to let us do much of anything based on recent posture and comments, but <laughs> we'll see. Um, all right, so Sluman misses his putt. Lyle then wins it on 18. Is that accurate? Beats Sluman? Wins the players? Yeah. Uh, you have anything else on the players? Yeah, I got, I got some stuff. I got an interesting Lyle quote. Oh, I have that. I hope it's the same one. Go for it. When someone asked Scotland's uh, Lyle about the difference, what the what the <laughs> so difference is between the British Open and uh, which he won in '85, and the TPC said about 130 years. This tournament in about 100 years' time will be just as important. <laughs> it was kind of a, a pop at the players at the PGA Tour, as I read it. No. I I read it as like it was like Lyle is like this nice guy, but this is a one time of his dry wit. What's the difference between the TBC? Like reporter looking for a local angle asked him the difference. He goes, 120 years. I, I don't needle. know. I think there, there's been some other articles where Lyle's oh. talking about it so fondly. Okay. This is one where he said he blunted the needle with a smile. 120. Well, why does he talk about it fondly? Did you see his record here? Horrible. <laughs> It's unbelievable. <laughs> he won it in 87. He missed the cut every other time but twice, which is when he finished T74 and T70. He made three cuts, 
One of them was a win. One of them was T74. And one of them was T... It's kind of unbelievable. It's unfathomable. It's like Phil. How did Phil... You know, Phil talks about how... I don't know how I ever won this event. It's so... Biz- but, you know, Lyle's on a heater at this point in time. So. I There's an interesting thing. This was like the first year where they really corporated out the TPC. Except for guys jumping in the pond. So yeah. the, for, this is from a uh, uh, SI article. I think it was Sarah Ballard. Um, okay. Meanwhile, whatever the TPC has lacked as a major event, it has made up for in spades as a commercial of commercial venture. Oh, they were already doing it. Huh? Everything it seems is for sale, even the oh spectator my... mounts. Skyboxes henceforth to be known as stadium chalets have appeared on the tops of the most desirable mounts and uh, the ones that overlook the 17th and 18th holes. A natural extent, this is a quote, a natural extension of the corporate hospitality tent, says tournament director John Tucker. We have 25 this year. In years to come, I suspect they will be wherever there's a mount. Wow. They're leaning into it. So what was that? 30, 33 years ago. Started. That's fantastic. I love the kind of, the edge to that writing it's like every mile they will corporate it out yeah pretty good um, all right so that's the players move on to the masters oh, there so- was one other thing i found an oklahoman article okay this is the depths of my research i'm reading okay oklahoman <laughs> articles on sandy lyle so this is an interesting quote for we're, we're going to talk about the masters but then after the masters this will okay. The quiet, uh, the quiet image that suits me is okay, Lyle said. I don't get mad over it. Having your own privacy is very important. I'm not one to open my mouth and tell everybody how good I am. Golf can kick you in the face very quickly. Wow. It was it was talked about how he's overlooked and how he nobody's mentioning him with you know Greg Norman. Was this after he had won the players and this a, is a British af- Open? This was okay. after the players. It was okay. talking about how Lyle had been on the tour and had won, you know, I think like four times or five times, and Norman had been on for one more year and one less. Okay. And how okay. you know Norman might it, Lyle might be better than Norman. Okay. Got it. Um. All right, eighty-eight Masters. Okay, he wins the Masters, so he's won an Open of eighty-five, Players in eighty-seven. Had all that order of merit stuff at uh, the start of the decade. And now he comes to Augusta, 88. Yeah, three orders of merit. Three orders of merit. An open of players and uh, now a Masters. The first uh, Briton to win yes. the Masters. You know, before Faldo goes back to back. You know who he beat in the Masters? Who was second? Calc, yeah, right? Calc. Do you know Calcavecchia was a, a caddy on tour? I saw what somebody. I saw one article referred to him as the former fat caddy on tour <laughs> because of the Times article. Rick Riley, maybe I don't know. I didn't know he was a caddy. No, I didn't, I didn't. either. It's kind of might have to do a calc just because of that. And yeah. I hear he's kind of a huge asshole. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Lyle, uh, Lyle made three putted eleven, doubled. Yes. 12 hit in the water on 12 yep and all of a sudden fell behind he was he was ahead 
and going into the day, had a three shot lead, fell behind. Um, and Cal, so they birdie 16 and 18. And I mean, one of the most iconic 18th holes in Masters history. Uh, he hits his one iron into the bunkers, which is up, up into the front lip. So he hit the bunkers 260. So he hit the one iron into the front lip. So at least 270 with a one iron. And, yeah. and and he's up on the lip, and every, the announcers are really worried about, can he hit the seven iron over the lip? <laughs> right. He hits the seven iron over the lip, picks it, like, perfectly clean, and it lands right in the very back part of the ridge, and the ball just rolls right back down to the hole to about 10 feet, and he cans the putt to win. He does this stupid little dance, <laughs> like a little... Little, little shuffle, shuffle type thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, Calx talked about how he couldn't, he was like numb for five minutes. Yeah. Right. He's like, the, there was no way you're making birdie from the, this is a famous bunker shot. You know, there's Mises chip in, let Lyles birdie from the bunker. Um, it, it, Calc was just stunned. It's like, I, I like couldn't move. I didn't feel myself for five minutes after he made birdie from, from 18, from that bunker. So, uh, Stadler finished third, yep. former champ. Crenshaw finished fourth, former champ. Norman uh, finished fifth with couples. They tied. It, Norman tied Johnny Miller's front nine scoring record. Shot 30 on the front nine, 34 on the back for 64. Um, and uh, Sandy Lyle had won the week before at Greensboro. That's the thing. Like He's already... He's done some damage in the States. He's won a player's championship. It wasn't like this this Ian Woosnam thing who had just barely played and, and you know, won in New Orleans once. It, it was like a guy who, he I think he was leading the tour's money list at that yeah, point. Yeah, he had three. This was his third win on the year on the PGA Tour. Yeah, yeah. Um, first Brit to win the Masters. And uh, here's, here's Cal Kavecchia. Right now, he is playing better than both Seve and Greg. I don't think in the long run he is as good as them, but he has to be one of the top 10 in the world. He is unflappable and doesn't get mad out there. He's really patient and has a great attitude. This is that great attitude. Just It might be because he just didn't care. Yeah. <laughs> yep. so, so there's controversy that week. What was that? So the greens were really hard and really fast. Lyle like was like I don't really care you know yeah. it yeah. didn't bother him at all yeah. but uh, the putting surfaces were strongly criticized by Fuzzy Zeller. Wow. A- after he shot sixty six on Friday, he accused the Masters officials of quote unquote tricking up the course <laughs> and making a joke of the game of golf. <laughs> uh. So that's fantastic. Sandy Lyle in in regard to uh to the greens, he said the cure is provided by my girlfriend who tickles my feet. She did it again at two in the morning. Uh two o'clock this morning when I woke up and I could hardly breathe. What does that mean? I don't know. I guess his his wife was a was a masseuse. Yeah. So this was his second wife, by the way. <laughs> yeah. You want to do the personal? Like, it's kind of, kind of a sad story. 
Um, his, can, his, I, can I just finish the Masters up? Go for it. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So this kicked off a run where Faldo won two and Woozy then won. So yep, it was a it was just a run of internet, uh, and that was part of the reason that Couples was so popular when he when he came around. Um, and then the New York Times. This is uh, from New York Times. Uh, the the Masters was the the latest in an impressive list of victories that has moved Lyle to the top. He is a member of both the American and European Pro Tours, and this was his third victory in 1988 on the PGA Tour. Um, Lyle won the Greenbrier event in 1986 for his first triumph on American circuit, um, also won the players in 87, giving him four American triumphs in the last 54 weeks, including one major. Lyle joined the PGA Tour as a full member in 84, a year after Norman, he now has five victories in the U in the U.S. Norman has four. That was the the snippet. Got it. So this is Got you know it. kind of putting it. Uh, and then this is New York Times Gordon White with the victory. Lyle suddenly stood alone as the premier golfer in the world. Seve Ballesteros of Spain and Greg Norman of Australia may still have their champions, but at the at this moment, Alexander Walter Bar Lyle, a 30 year old who was born in England of Scottish parents and now lives in England, is simply the best there is. Wow. I mean, it's hard to argue based on the, the that moment, that present moment. Mm-hmm. Without without the eye catching macho swagger of Biasteros or Norman, the quiet and almost bashful six foot one inch curly haired Lyle has all the shots those two have. What counts more, he has many more impressive victories than they have. Ooh. Little, little did Gordon White know that, that what was coming. This was pretty much the end. So I talked about like the kind of the rivalry with Faldo, and uh, I thought this antidote was good when he when he was winning the Masters. Um, they are friendly in the manner of old schoolmates at a reunion who are not really friends. Um, when Lyle, however, when Lyle won that 88 masters on the last hole with a spectacular seven iron shot from a fairway bunker and a heart stopping 10 foot putt, Faldo was on the balcony of the Augusta national clubhouse with Lyle's parents shouting happily as Lyle emerged from the scorer's tent. So I thought that was kind of cool, right? Yeah. Like Faldo had been burned by him in match play. They had this rivalry, but he was on the balcony in Augusta and that began the transition to the era of Faldo. I mean, that was the end of Lyle, yeah. really. Um, he had there's... one more. He had one more big win that year. It was the World Match Play that he won, right. where he beat Sevi <laughs> Nor uh, Sevi Woozy and uh, and uh, Faldo. So they they talk about this as like Lyle Faldo wins the next year, and it goes Lyle presenting Nick Lyle presenting Nick Faldo with his first green jacket was almost like the baton of the top British golfer being passed on for good. That was it. Lyle was done. He gave him the green jacket, and that was it. And he he wore a kilt, by the way. Kilt in Butler Cabin, Lyle. He missed Um, the cut? Yeah, oh yeah. So he he just falls off the face of the earth. So he comes back, he does the presentation in a kilt. It was passing the baton for top British golfer. Um... and he loses his confidence. We're there a year later in 89 and he's doing the champions dinner and he served haggis 
and they brought in bagpipe player and then they clarified it was on a tape recorder they played bagpipe in the champions uh dinner and this, this interviewer asked him was like next time you'll have to import a real player it's a year later and lyle responds there won't be a next time now he goes why not are you kidding me you're you know you're a year removed from winning the masters and Lyle had to think for a moment as if it had never occurred to him and said, I suppose you're right. I guess I could win again and host it the next time. So we're a year later. Do you want to hear some of this downfall? Yeah, yeah. let's do it. All right. So before the Masters, Lyle had been very bullish about his hopes uh, for the future. Oh. This is from the Guardian article. Um, time spent working with on a swing with both his father and Tom Watson had I encouraged Lyle so much. That he said his aim was to win at least one major every season for the next 10 years. 10 years! Fighting talk, but as 1989 dragged on, Lyle's main goal soon shifted to being to simply being able to play tournament golf on the weekends. A year after winning the Masters. Two years after winning the Players. So, um, if, go if ahead. before the Memorial, if you told me earlier in the year that I would go through this type of run, I would have told you to stop joking. Trevino, I can't believe that he can go from being the best golfer in the world to a four handicap in four such a handic- short time. Four handicapper. So he pulled out of the pulled out of the Ryder Cup. Jacqueline so, wanted to pick him in eighty nine. Yeah. But let, let's get finish eighty eight real quick. Okay. Jaime Diaz had a long article like 10 years later. Oh, I, get I guess too, he went yeah. to the Florida swing and just got like nuked, right? Doral, Bay Hill. He walked off at Bay Hill and got yeah. a fine for it, right? It, it, this is a year after he won the Masters. Um, when he returned for the U.S., you know, he remembers being exhausted. And he says at Bay Hill, something inside him snapped. Um, he made only two cuts through a horrible stretch of 10 starts in the U.S. He broke 70 just once, and he had a stroke average of 74.1. At his final event at the World Series of Golf in Firestone, he fought back tears as he admitted that he had asked Tony Jacklin, the Ryder Cup captain, a year removed from winning the Masters, not to select him for the 1989 team, which would have retained the cup at the Belfry. We'll go on to retain the cup. Uh... Do you want to talk about him turning it down? Do you have anything more on the, the Jaime Diaz or the 88 yeah, it, it, fall, 89 wife, fall? So they talked to his wife. Um, yeah. And first Lyle said, it was as if someone flipped a switch. I wasn't the same player. I'd lost it. And then his wife said, we didn't really know it, but Sandy was golfed out, she says. During that time at home, you could just see on his face he didn't want to go back out there. He should have said, I'm chucking my clubs in the corner for four months and don't and don't anyone talk to me about golf. Unfortunately, Sandy, unlike the other top players, doesn't know how to say that. If he had done that, maybe he wouldn't have had all the problems. It was, uh, yeah. And then it, Diaz just said the decline was made more painful because it inevitably compared with the ascent of Valdo. Right. With whom Lyle always had a distant and complicated relationship. And and then Lyle admitted, he said, that didn't make things any easier. Didn't make it easier. Um, the, so. Go ahead. I, I was just going to say personally, 80, like before 87, like the week 
Oh no, on the eve of the final round of the 87 players, we're talking about his new wife, his ex-wife, Christine, this is the eve of the final round, tells him she's t- she was leaving him and taking their two sons. Oh my God. And uh, I think he got to see his two kids like, yeah, he sees them twice a year, the boys twice a year. This was, you know, an article from the mid 90s. That's so. terrible. So he's kind of like had the he found that new wife though, and then his game's gone by '89. He gets picked by Jacqueline to be on the belt. So they they won at '85 um, to break the the streak of losses. They win at '87 for the first time ever on U.S. soil. He's he was like a Loner guy, right? They paired them together, yeah. the slower slower moving kind of you know emotionless guys. Opposites. Opposite, so that he's 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 kind of the stalwart of the '80s teams, but by '89 he he gets picked by Jacqueline and uh, says he he shouldn't play. He's at, we talked about average scoring average seventy four. He said in uh, states. Go ahead. He said it was my decision to pull out due to my slump over the past four to five months. My play has not been up to the standard for the Ryder Cup. Not up to my own standards that I've always set for myself. Um, so pretty incredible, you know. But he was think, still got a. He still had to offer him a spot because he was like this stalwart. All well, the they 80s. offered him it, and he turned it down. Yeah, think then, about that. Should have been that should have been Phil Mickelson a few years ago. I was wondering about that. That popped in my head. This was they, the right thing to do. If you stink, don't go play. It's only going to get worse if you stink and go to a Ryder Cup. Right, right. So Seve was pissed off about it. Yeah, Seve was like, just give it more time. Don't turn it down. We want, you know, Seve, what did, what did he say? He was like, you know, so, he's, so when Seve, he's playing his best, he's the best, he said earlier in the 80s. But so Seve felt that Lyle had been slightly hasty with his decision, an opinion that seemed to gain merit as Lyle subsequently shot 70-69, 72-69 in the European Masters and then finished so eighth at the European Open. That's so great. So he breaks like 70 twice after turning Jacqueline down saying, take me off the team. And he's like, I feel a lot healthier. And should somebody break her leg or something, that I'd be prepared to play in the Ryder Cup. So it's like kind of... Proving Seve had right in a certain way, you know, I mean, like he he posted broke seventy twice, and all of a sudden he's like, uh, well, maybe I could play. So, um, anything else on the decision to say nothing? Nothing, nothing else on this. So th- <laughs> Just, he did. He didn't win ever again on the PGA Tour. He then won. He broke a three-year winless drought at, in '91 at the BMW Open, International Open, and then in '92 he won twice he won the italian open volvo masters but then he never won again in 2000 age 34 this is a 2003 article sandy lyle 45 has won a masters a british open and 21 other titles but beginning in 2004 he'll have no playing privileges on any tour for the first time in 25 years having finished 145th on the euro list and used up i mean we're talking like 45 years old no exemption at winners of two majors and players nothing on european tour no exemptions on the us he was re- reply, re- relying on a sponsor. Q school or in sponsors yeah if he wanted to do it 45 um all right should we fast forward to Ryder cup yeah so he turns it down in 89 he never plays on another Ryder cup 
after being the part of this great turnaround in the mid eighties. He was Woozy's he, assistant captain. He's Woozy's assistant captain in 06 at the K Club. Woozy, the most pathetic captain ever, <laughs> per Thomas Bjorn. Um He must have had a good assistant captain. There you go. His assistant captain. <laughs> so he never plays it again and he never gets the captaincy job, at least so far. Maybe there's a Hail Mary Ma- still out the there. The big controversy was Monty got it over him. 2010 Celtic Manor. He thought he was going to get it. And there was some thought, you know, that because he had, he WD'd from the Open Championship in 09, right? He started something atrocious, like eight over through his first nine or, or 10 over through his first nine. And he WD'd in, in tough weather because <laughs> bad knuckles, <laughs> sore knuckles. <laughs> So there was thought there was some like blowback about this. Uh, this is Lawrence Donegan in The Guardian. Withdrawal from last year's Open of nine holes of driving rain is widely assumed to have scuppered his chances of becoming the 2010 Ryder Cup captain. So he's losing it. That this was a, this, a guy who was a, turned around part of the big five. He's never going to be a captain. So he just starts popping up. Also, the completely calm and cool, rare without, you know, we've heard all about Bjorn going at Woozy, Woozy going at Faldo. It, it, um, these Euros tend to pop off at each other. Lyle never did that. But after he gets passed for Monty, he just throws Monty under the bus. <laughs> he got the job. You're mad at me because I WD. He goes, Monty got the job despite being guilty quote, a form of cheating that is far worse than someone pulling out of the open because of sore knuckles. <laughs> you have Monty dropping the ball badly. That's what you call a form of cheating. This is, we did Monty, you know, when he, the rain delay and he didn't really mark his ball in the bunker and gave himself a better spot and lie the next day and forfeited his winnings from, what was it? Jakarta? Yeah. Is it, it was, no, no, that was, that was VJ somewhere. Morocco, I think, maybe. Um, so this is far worse, according to Lyle. If anything was going to be held against Monty, you would think, yeah, well, that's a case where he was breaking the rules, and then he throws them again. And there have been other times where he's been called in to see the videos. <laughs> Just kind of a loose refrain to Monty maybe playing you know, fast and loose. Ironically, so. Lyle's la- the, his last two wins of his career, the runner-up yep. in both of them was Monty. Oh, it's, this is Donegan again. At one stage, Monty was Lyle's most public supporter for the job of the Ryder Cup captain in 2010. At least he was until he got the job himself. Since then, according to Lyle, the pair have had minimal contact. I ran him contact. I ran him a few times after the decision, but didn't hear back. Eventually, I got a letter, but I got the impression it was written by his manager. So, you know, uh, Lyle plays like, you know, he initially says, I'm disappointed personally. I'm generally delighted for Colin, who has my congratulations and support. Kind of nuts, right? Do you want? Do you, I got one more thing on this Ryder Cup thing. Yeah. So Tony Jacklin said, he in an interview, he was asked about like all-time Ryder Cup players. And he's going, Palmer, Nicholas, uh, you know, Sneed, and he, Hogan. And he go and at that last name we mentioned, like the 12, 12 guys, Sandy Lyle. Interesting. So 
Sandy Lyle is a forgotten hero. His achievements and what an enormously talented golfer he was tend to be overlooked. But when he had confidence in his putting, he was a great player. Everything looked so easy. Um, <clears throat> so then he told they told Lyle of it, and he uh, and he goes of Jacqueline's comments. He goes Palmer, Hogan, Sneed, and Lyle. Eh, remind me to buy Tony a drink next time I see him. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. Yeah, pretty good. Uh, I, I don't know. The, the, the downfall so sudden after playing so well is what stuck out to me with him. I, I, he should have been a Ryder cup captain, right? Yeah. I mean, they do things differently over there. You gotta be like a Euro tour. You he know, won the order of merit three times. Yeah. It's almost like 2010. You're, it's too late. He should have been it. I don't know when somewhere in the nineties, somewhere in the I mean, early two thousands. Let's not forget, got, like, forget he wore pure open championship gear too. His last start. I I uh, he's gotta be a Ryder Cup captain. He's part of the changing of the the turning the lopsided contest around. He won two majors, a bunch of those world match plays, order of merit. He, he's just gotta be, but they do it differently. You know, Paul McGinley or uh, Thomas Bjorn, I don't know. They didn't win majors, right? Yeah, I, it's just different, different approach over there. I think uh, so. we gotta we gotta make a push. Maybe next Ryder Cup, he he gets this the knot. <sighs> Maybe he's in Italy. <laughs> and now it's I mean it's too late. Him and Larry Nelson, the two kind of uh, on our side. Larry Nelson really left by the wayside. I think they should put Larry in next American one. hero. I agree. <laughs> What's your what's the elastic legacy? Where are we where are we putting where's where's uh he rank? Real quick on his downfall. Yeah. So he was just a field player. He didn't do the Faldo thing, break it down. Although he saw a bunch of different swing coaches. He goes, he I always need lead better. Lead better too. But he always just reverted back to like the flat swing of his childhood, is what they said. I always needed good hands, sheer skill, and confidence to get around. And I had that as a young man. As you get older, your faults start to take over. I always had the nagging thought in the back of my mind that something similar to what has happened might just happen. So he thought it could just go on him. Um, I got to where I had no safe shot. Instead, I had two evils, a pull hook and a block. And you can play with one evil, but you can't play with two. So he kind of always thought it could just go on him. He just relied on his hands and he's got older. It was gone. He didn't have the mentality like we talked about Woozy and and VJ. Yeah, you know. Yeah, Mac O'Grady. It's crazy. Tom Watson worked on his swing. Yeah, Mac O'Grady called him a Labrador Retriever, a sweet spirit. You were just talking about his, his <laughs> attitude, a Labrador Retriever. Uh, Sleepy Sandy was a nickname. So, uh, by the way. You know how he said, I never played the course when they asked him, what do you think of Tiger Woods? You like the Labrador nickname. I do. But you know how he said when asked 92, what he knew about Tiger Woods? He goes, I've never played the golf course. He thought, <laughs> do you remember that? No. That's like a famous thing of Tiger's first start ever at Riviera when he was 16 or whatever. But apparently that was just, uh, according to Jaime, it was just uh, Lyle being clever. But it, the narrative is now that 
you know, it's one of those, yeah. you know, you've only freezing cold takes type thing. You know, I never, but I, apparently it was just Lyle just being a clever. What's the legacy? I, I struggle with this one. His, his major record is really skimpy. It is. But he's so good. Yeah, this is a, this one. This one really kind of puts you in the crosshairs on some of the the tenants you've laid out so far in this exercise. I, the thing that I find, like the adoration of of other world class players, yeah, like the Sevy, like if we all play our best, Sandy's winning. Yep. You know the most talented player line from yep. Faldo. The fact he got to the top of the mountain, he got to world number one. He didn't. No, yeah, he, he did. Didn't. He did. The end of uh, twenty uh, eighty seven, eighty eight, eighty eight. Okay, okay. Um, the fact he got to number one is a big deal. Okay. And uh, you know, I think I, I don't know, three orders of merit. You're just trying to work away around the O'Mara thing of two. No, O'Mara two and, and Sandy Lyle are on completely different planets. Okay. okay. Sandy Lyle was like one tick above Carl Patterson until 1998. <laughs> Sandy Lyle, you mean O'Meara? I mean, O'Meara. Oh O'Meara. my God. O'Meara was one tick above. He won the U.S. Amateur in five Pebble Beaches alone. Get it, Carl Patterson. I'm saying Christ. one tick above him. <laughs> one tick. Lyle had 97 major championship starts and four top tens. And 97 starts, and two of those were wins. Four, two of those four top... T- I mean, we're not talking about Jack Nicholas runner-ups here. Okay, I mean, but he, he, he didn't even... He played in, in like, 10, 10 majors when he was, like, in his, like, prime. Yeah, yeah, sure. Like, keep in mind, he only played opens. Yep, that's true. He, and a lot of those miscuts are, you know, when his game was gone, and he had the, like, kind of lifetime starts that, you know... De facto lifetime start at the Open and, and Masters. I, I I don't know what to do. I I'm I'm he's on the fringe. I think TBD. I think I, I think in a way I'm more impressed than with him than Monty. In a way, yeah. I don't know. Monty's eight order of merits in a did row it for so long is like the the longevity of dominance is so high with that. But I think if you look at it at ten years in a vacuum of Sandy Lyle, yeah, it's pretty damn impressive. Yeah, he is in the actual. He is in the hall. I think. I mean, like, I think if you just look at those ten years, you're like, holy! I mean, he won. He essentially won everything in ten years. Right. He won players at Open and Masters. He won, you know, twenty six other tournaments in 10 years we'd say that's a hall of fame now if that happened we'd I mean, be going nuts yeah it's it's a crazy 10-year run and it's it's better like the fact he did it for 10 years at a really high clip is more so than Pavin, omira hal sutton like those 10 years of 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 lyle are better than any of their careers yeah so i would say he's in Okay, I think I'm with you. I think I'm with you. It's just unbelievable the it's, 
the quick strikes. The, the, the players is emblematic of it too. One win and then missed the cut every other time, basically. T70, I guess you count that. 70 and 74. T70 is a miserable finish. T74 was the other one. Everything else was MC. All right. I mean, two Walker Cups, too. Oh, God. You go throw in the Hickory Open now, next? I know. I- Walker Cup is legit, but I thought the Hickory Open might be the tiebreaker for you. I mean, he had, you want to talk about O'Meara's amateur career. Sandy Lyle was like by far the best amateur player in Great Britain. Yeah. Yeah. For, from like age 14 on. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't no, know. I agree. I think he's got to be in now that yeah. we've talked about it. I think he has to be. I think it's not just fringe. If Monty's in, he's got to be in. I don't know if Monty's in. Monty, oh, Monty's he's the in. lowest run. Monty's like the, he's he's on the door. Is he better than Duvall? They're kind of similar. I mean, Duvall's peak was just so good. but I think Duvall's do- was more dominant. But it was shorter. It was like, they're kind of, they're eerily similar in the way it just went, you know? Sure. It was Lyle didn't tumble quite as far. It seems like Lyle tried to hang on a lot longer than Duvall did. Yeah, of course. Lyle just didn't give up like like Duvall did. Yeah. Which I think like I think Duvall could have been Sandy Lyle in the last you know his last twenty years of his career if he wanted. Right. But he just was like you know this is not what I want to be. Right. I don't know. I think Duvall was better. Right. It's hard. I, I think so, too. But I think we probably have a little bias because we have a little bit more of a, a personal interaction with watching Duvall, and we don't with Lyle. I don't know. It's Lyle hard. never won 11 times in 33 starts. Yes, that's true. The, the absolute peak of Duvall is very few can argue with, especially during a, a Tiger Woods era. And they so. could be in the same rung. Sure, sure. To me, Lyle is like the first guy that we've we've hit on that's like a blatant underachiever. Why do you say that? Like all the talent of the world didn't really get that much out of it the, in, the sleep, in the grand scheme of things. Sleepy Sandy, the Labrador yeah. retriever. Yeah. I, lo- I love the story of him. He decided he didn't like the range, so he just didn't go to it all week and won the tournament. <laughs> Pretty good. All right. All right. We don't know who's next. There's a suggestion that we should do all the big five in a row, and I think it's a good suggestion, but the undertakings for Faldo and Seve are going to be massive. Extraordinary. So I don't know if we have that in us for Friday after. We might We might have to have like a midweek break next week where we yeah. do AM, our AMA. Yeah. The long lost yeah. AMA. I think it sounds like everybody's listening to these, maybe a little slower. But the numbers are the same, and I don't know. It's just more time to chew on, I guess. You know, They're longer than our average, obviously. So if you uh, don't like anything, give us some feedback. We'll try to sharpen them up. But uh, appreciate you guys sticking with us and listening. And we'll be back Friday with another one, TBD. TBD.